Last week we began a short series of lessons that we'll finish up this week that's called Why Jesus? And we're thinking about why we should follow this Jesus that we celebrate at this time of the year and really as Christians all through the year. But, but for the culture, I think we think about Jesus at Christmas and Easter. And so we're thinking about why we should follow this Jesus. And last week, we talked about the impact that Jesus has on our lives in the here and now. What difference does it make every day in the way that I live my life whether I'm a follower of Jesus or not. And what does Jesus do for me? How does he at work in my life? And we talked about last week how Jesus gives us purpose and meaning. We get to the follow this Jesus, to serve this Jesus, to share the news of salvation with the people around us. And we talked about really spending our lives throwing a party, inviting people to follow Jesus as we do. Now today I want to extend that answer a little further and think not just about this life, but about eternity. And that's on a lot of our minds, right? Even when as Zach and I teach junior high a chapel at Vision Way every year, at the end of the year, we usually let them ask some questions and we just spend some time in chapel uh, talking through answers to those questions. And inevitably, one of the things that they wanna know about is what happens when I die? Okay? Even in junior high, we're wondering about what happens when I die. And we think about that sometimes as adults as well. What's it going to be like? Am I going to know the people that I knew here on earth? What's it going to be like to be in the presence of God? What are we going to do in heaven? All those things come to mind. And the truth is, Scripture gives some answers to some of those questions, but doesn't answer every one of those questions. And so we sort through what Scripture has to say and what it doesn't say. But you know, as we think about that question and think about what happens when I die, we begin to back up a little bit into this life. And, and we might ask the question as I'm thinking about eternity and where I'm going to spend eternity and am I going to be in God's presence, what is my relationship with, like God, with God like now? Am I in the right place with God? Am I right with God or not? And that's another important question. And it matters to us whether we're right with God or not. And what's interesting is, is if we look in Scripture, we find that people who were following Jesus were asking that question as Scripture was being written. And so if you look in the book of 1 John, near the end of the New Testament, if you've never read 1 John, do so, because it's short, it's easy to get through, and it's powerful, because John is answering the question, how do I know that I'm good with God? As a follower of Jesus, how can I know that? And if you want to get more answers to that question, man, John, 1 John is a great place to go. And we partly ask that question, how am I with God? Because we know ourselves so very well. We look in our own lives, and we can read our thoughts in ways that no one else can. And we look in our lives, we reflect back on the things that we've done, and the things that we wish we'd done, and the thoughts and temptations we've dealt with, and we go, wow. Man, I'm, I'm pretty rotten sometimes, right? I know what I'm like. And sometimes it's not that great. And we know that we are sinners. And it's easy to begin to wonder, can God really forgive me for what I've done? I mean, we can look around and see other people around us, maybe people in this room, and think, man, they, they probably haven't done the stuff that I've done. They've probably not had the thoughts that I've had. I'm sure God could forgive all of those people, but man, if you only knew what I've done in my life, I'm not sure God can forgive what I've done. I think lots of us have been in that, in that 
thinking at some point in our lives. And people really do wonder, can I be forgiven of the sin that I've committed? And that's an important question. That matters. It matters for our relationship with God, and it matters for our eternity. And as we read through the Gospels, the story of Jesus, I think that sometimes the, writer of the, gospel, the writers of the Gospels were trying to communicate an answer to that question to us and to everyone who reads those Gospels. And so we're going to dive back into Luke chapter 5. I said last week we were just going to look in this one chapter in the Gospel of Luke, two different stories. And as a matter of fact, we're backing up a little bit in Luke chapter 5 to look at a really important story that I want us to see today. What we have is Jesus, and we know this from the other accounts of this story in the other Gospels, Jesus is in Capernaum. Okay, where's Capernaum? It's in Galilee. So Jesus is sort of in the backwoods of where the Jews lived in the first century. The action was in the south, in Judea, around Jerusalem. That's where the important people were. That's where the greatest teachers were centered. That's where the, the most people were. Galilee is in the north, north of Samaria. It's in this area where, yeah, there were plenty of Jews living there, but that is not where the population center was. In fact, that's not where most of the main teachers went to, to teach and to listen and to learn. And yet, that's where Jesus grew up. Where God chose for Him to be raised and to begin His ministry and to gather His disciples. And here's what we read at this beginning section of Jesus' ministry. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Now, it seems like just sort of the introduction to the story. Okay, we got the setting, let's move on. But really, there's a couple of remarkable things there. <clears throat> First of all, what we see is we've got... Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting and listening to Jesus. Now, these are the people who know their law. These are the people who have big sections of the law memorized, as a matter of fact. They have spent their lives studying what we call the Old Testament. For them, it was just their Bible. They knew the commandments. They knew God's expectations. They were experts in interpreting the law and then turning around to teach the law. And where are they? listening to Jesus. They had begun to recognize that there was something special about Jesus. Something different about Him. Probably not raised up in the rabbinic schools like all of them had been raised. Probably didn't have the teaching that they had had. And yet, they could hear that Jesus was saying something so powerful, so important, that they needed to learn from this Jesus. And so, Luke tells us, they had come from every village of Galilee, from Judea and from Jerusalem, to hear Jesus. So all the little villages around Capernaum where Jesus is teaching... All the places that he had visited and maybe had even where he had grown up and been around as a child, they've all come to hear Jesus. And not only in Galilee, they had traveled for several days walking from Jerusalem and Judea to hear Jesus. These are the important people. These are the people that everyone listens to. And they have gathered in Capernaum to hear Jesus. This is not just the average ordinary crowd that gathers. These are the people who know the law and want to hear more 
from Jesus. And Luke reminds us that the Spirit of God was at work in Jesus, that he was healing people. And that's what we see at work on this day. As Jesus is teaching in a house, we have several men who come with probably like a straw stretcher. And on that stretcher is their friend, a friend who can't walk because he's paralyzed. And they just want to get their friend to Jesus. But they can't. The house where Jesus is teaching is so full that there is no way they can get in. And we can imagine that's probably standing room only. It's a small house. The, the houses that are measured in Capernaum that we have ruins of from the first century, the very largest, if you packed all the people you could in one of those houses standing up, you're talking about maybe 50 people. Okay, So what I can imagine is people spilled out trying to listen to Jesus, and, and you can't even get in the door because it's so full. And they bring their friend and there is no way to get in there to get close enough to Jesus to get his attention and heal their friend. So what do they do? They took the steps that were on the outside of the house up to the roof. And some of you may have heard that was a place where people sometimes gathered, okay? And you might eat a meal on the roof. It was just common. They go to the roof and then they begin to, as one of the other Gospels tells us, de-roof the roof, Okay? They begin to dismantle the roof. Now, can you imagine going to somebody else's house and you want to get in the house so bad to see what's going on that you begin to like tear their shingles off, okay, to to get inside? That's what these guys do. They take the roof apart. And they're pretty talented because they've sort of figured out where Jesus is. They go up on the roof. They dig a big enough hole in this roof to let their friend down on this mat right in front of of Jesus. And so they lower him down, probably with some ropes, just in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, and your faith is at work. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Not just the man on the mat, okay, but his friends, all of them together. Their faith is so powerful in Jesus. They believe so strongly that Jesus can do something amazing here. Jesus is impressed with this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, maybe that's not what they expected. If we think back, and if we're one of those friends who are so desperate to get this guy to Jesus that he could be healed. Remember, there's no doctor that's going to bring healing to him. There's no surgery to be done. This is their only hope. We can imagine being that desperate, taking somebody's roof apart and lowering our friend down in front of Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I don't know if that's what they were looking for that day. They were looking for healing. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, we know that the greater thing The greater need here is for sins to be forgiven. We know that that has an eternal impact. It matters more than the physical healing, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know if that's what they really wanted that day. And I don't know how excited they were about this. But I do know that those people who had gathered to hear Jesus 
gathered to hear what he had to say. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they began to not talk, they began to think to themselves, Luke tells us. And who does this guy think he is? Who does this Jesus think he is that he can say to someone, your sins are forgiven? Because you know who can forgive sins? God. There's no human being who could pronounce forgiveness of sin. It didn't happen. And so when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, in their minds, Jesus is taking the place of God. Now, technically, that really wasn't blasphemy, but, but that's what they're thinking in his mind, in their minds. He, he's blaspheming. He's taking God's place. He's sort of taking God for granted. That's what they're thinking. What does Jesus say? Verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Now, I can imagine the looks on their faces when Jesus begins to say this, right? How, how would he know what we're thinking in our hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, it's easy to say the words, your sins are forgiven. It's easy to say those words. Now, Jesus is actually making a little play on words because it was a pretty long word in the language that he was speaking. But how would you know? How would you know if Jesus says, your sins are forgiven? I mean, you could, the guy still looks the same, right? There's, there's no physical evidence that those sins have been forgiven. There's nothing that can prove just by looking that the sins have been forgiven. So Jesus is saying, you know, it's easy for me to say your sins are forgiven. But how would you know it's true? It's more difficult to say, get up and walk. While the words can come out just as easily, and there's got to be some physical proof that Jesus has the power to do this. And so he says it. To prove to them, there was a reason for this miracle, to prove to them that he had the power to forgive the sins, Jesus showed them that he had the power to heal the man. Get up, take your mat, and go home. And Luke tells us that's exactly what he did. In fact, Luke uses this language, and it's sort of like the mat brought the man in, but the man carried the mat out. It's a miracle. And Jesus has the power to heal. And it proves that Jesus also has the power to forgive sin. To forgive the sin of this man, to forgive the sin of his friends, to forgive the sins of the people around him, and to forgive us. And you know, as we think about this season, thinking about last Sunday and resurrection and Easter, you know, the resurrection proves to us that Jesus has the power to forgive sins and to bring eternal life. 
It confirms to us that Jesus has the power to fulfill the promises that he made. Here on this day, Jesus showed, I've got the power to heal, so I've got the power to forgive. And with the Easter season, with resurrection, Jesus proves to to us, I've got the power to forgive you, and I've got the power to offer you eternal life. So when we're thinking about ourselves, why should I follow Jesus? Why Jesus and not something else? Why Jesus and not another religion? Why Jesus and not no religion? Well, last week we said because he offers a better life. This week, because Jesus changes eternity. Jesus changes eternity for every single person who puts their faith in him. Jesus changes how we're going to spend forever. You know, I think lots of us have this sense that there is something beyond just this physical body that goes on. That there is a being, a sense of life that continues. One of my favorite authors is Phyllis Tickle. She put it this way. What the teachings of Jesus in the gospel share and rest on is the very simple principle that human life cannot end. Human life cannot end. Once we are born, we are. Always. Without end of hope of end, or hope of end, we are. Life is eternal. Death is eternal. In other words, we're going to keep going. In life or in death, we are without hope of cessation. We're not going to stop. And that is not a t- if that is not a terrifying thought, I hope I never have one. Why would she consider that terrifying? Because you know what? If we're not in the right place, if we're not where we should be, man, it is terrifying. But Jesus offers us something different. Jesus offers us an eternity with Him and with God. We can know that we're right with God. We can know where we're going to spend eternity if we follow Jesus. We can know that our sins are forgiven. We can know that we're right with God. We can know that we're going to be with Him forever if we simply follow Jesus. And here's the thing. Just like this man. You know, this man didn't do something for Jesus to earn either the forgiveness or the healing. He didn't pay Jesus enough money. He didn't make some kind of sacrifice. He just believed. And you know, the same is true with us. We can't do something that's going to earn forgiveness. We can't do enough good to cover the bad. It's just an offer that's out there. That regardless of what you've done, it can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus. And you can be right with God and you can spend eternity praising God. And Scripture set forth this simple plan to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to say, I'm going to follow Him over and above everything else because I believe He's God's Son. And we're called to repent of our sins, which means, you know what? I've done a bunch of stuff that I'm not proud of, 
but I don't want to live like that anymore. I realize it's wrong. I realize I'm guilty. I realize I can be forgiven, and I want to change. And we won't be perfect, but we make the choice. I want to be someone different. And then we're called to be baptized into him. And in that, we come in contact with the grace of Jesus Christ. And there we go. We don't earn it. We can't do enough. It's just offered to us. This eternity with God. And so today, maybe you've made the decision that it's time to follow Jesus Christ. We want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray, and then we'll have our invitation. God, we're so thankful that you've chosen to change eternity for us. We're so thankful that through Jesus, we can find forgiveness. We can know that we're right in our relationship with you and that we can spend eternity praising you. So God, we lift you up today and we pray for those in the room who may be thinking through, am I ready to make this decision? God, we pray you'll give them courage. We pray that you'll help them to make the decision to follow you. Now we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you've decided you want to follow Jesus, if you've decided you want to experience that forgiveness and a right relationship with God, we invite you to let us know. Come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.